Good evening and welcome to the show. Tonight, we bring you the story of Amber Drake, who lost her husband, Rod, after he was coerced into taking the AstraZeneca vaccine in 2021. Rod was a fit landscape gardener and a keen surfer with a pre-existing heart condition. He took the vaccine to remain in work and also because his GP told him his heart condition made him particularly vulnerable to the COVID virus. He was scared and alarmed at how seriously his body responded to the AstraZeneca vaccine, which at that time was already banned in some countries for having caused potentially fatal heart conditions. Amber promised him as he lay dying in hospital that she would not let this issue fade away, which is why she joins me later in the show. But first, it is going to take decades for analysts, philosophers, and historians to fully understand how a small group of people were able to convince most of the developed world that they were vulnerable to a mostly benign virus with temporary flu-like symptoms and that their only guarantee of safety, not to mention a normal life, was to be injected with an experimental vaccine that turned out to cause more harm than good. One particularly lucid and thoughtful contribution to this ongoing debate is a book called The New Abnormal, The Rise of the Biomedical Security State by Californian Dr. Aaron Cariati. Cariati is a psychiatrist and was a director of the Bioethics Committee at the UCI School of Medicine in California. He refused to be vaccinated in 2021 and was summarily sacked by the university, which led him to suing the school and writing his new book, in which he combines his own harrowing story with the emergence of a new generation of totalitarians working between politics and the medical industry. These two organisations were able to join forces with surprising ease. And Cariati warns us that just because the lockdowns and mandates that so disrupted our lives during COVID have been wound back, the forces behind them haven't given up their obsession to wield power over us.
Australia is mentioned often in the book. In it, Keriati reminds us, quote, Australia recently rounded up citizens exposed to COVID, including asymptomatic people, and shipped them to detention facilities against their will. Videos of Australian detention centres made their way onto social media before tech censors dutifully scrubbed them from the internet. Australia is clearly slouching towards authoritarianism, if not yet, totalitarianism. Not that Australia was alone in pursuing this madness. Keriati points out that the COVID response was the first time in history that healthy populations were locked down for their own good, based not on medical research, but on flawed mathematical models that allowed opportunist politicians to create a state of perpetual fear and cast themselves as the heroic saviors of their people. They were, in fact, the exact opposite. Keriati's overarching warning, though, is that scientism, the idea that the only knowable things about this life are scientific, and that spirituality, religion, and other transcendent thoughts are meaningless, is rapidly dominating the way we perceive ourselves, our culture, and each other. It is a dangerous concept, as the response to COVID proved with abundant clarity. Dr. Keriati is one of the leading and most lucid thinkers on this topic, and I'll try to get him on the show next week to discuss it all. In the meantime, I highly recommend his book, The New Abnormal, which although it recounts the frightening ease with which we relinquished our freedoms, it ends on a positive note, explaining ways to prevent it happening again. Well, I'm joined now by Amber Drake from Langwarren near the Mornington Peninsula in Melbourne, who lost her, her husband, Paul, after he had the AstraZeneca jab twice in late 2021. Paul was an avid surfer and a landscape gardener, so he was fit. But 10 days after each of the jabs, he had adverse reactions. The first jab was mild. The reactions to the first jab were relatively mild, but they were very serious after the second one. Amber joins me now. Amber, welcome. Hi, Fred. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming in. Amber, tell me what happened 10 days after your husband Paul had his second AstraZeneca jab in November 2021. Um, straight after he had it, like, he, he said, oh, look, you know, I'm fine. It's not, I haven't had any reactions at all. Um, we went away down to the, I think it was the Grampians. We did a heap of hiking and, you know, mountain climbing. And um, it just happened to be when we finished there, it was the 10th day after the second AstraZeneca. And he said to me, I've got a really awful headache. And he said, I've never, ever had headaches ever in my life. He said, oh, I think I might have COVID. Um, so we drove home and he said, oh, I think I'll, I'll better get tested. And I said, oh, yeah, OK. Um, he got the results pretty quickly. It said, no, negative, you don't have it. So he was in and out of bed for, for days with this headache. And um, he was taking Panadol and Nurofen to sort of calm that down. Did then, that work? Uh, no, it ne the headache never, ever subsided completely. 
um, it just it just sort of alleviated it to a certain degree, um, but the headache never went away. And um, and then another time, you know, it wasn't long after. A few days later, he sort of tried to go back to work. He tried to have a surf. Um, he'd been in the cold water one day and had a surf. He came back. He said, oh, "I wasn't, you know, it wasn't that good." But he he'd been in the cold water. He went and had a hot shower. And when he came out, his hands and his feet were completely white. And he said to me, oh, look at my hands and my feet. And I said, well, that's really weird because it's like Raynard's, you know, when your fingertips go white in the freezing when you're cold. Mm. Um, so that was kind of strange. But that, that sort of subsided as well. And then another time, his left foot went purple. Uh, then he started getting rashes. At what point did you draw a connection to the jab? Oh, I just... I. I don't know, it just, the thought kept going through my mind why, why these strange things were happening. Um, and because it had been 10 days after, I thought, oh, that's, you know, it's been 10 days. Why would he had a, have adverse reactions 10 days after? That's kind of strange. Um, so I didn't put that together until later, but just the odd, the odd rashes and the foot going purple and the hands and feet going white and the severe headaches all of the time. And I'd been checking his blood pressure and his pulse and his temperature throughout this whole time, you know, just just as a, you know, indicator. Um, and that was all fine. So did you feel inclined to go and see a doctor about this? Well, the, th the thing was that um, these things sort of came and went. And when he had the adverse reactions with the first um, AstraZeneca and had these strange rashes, by the time he went to the doctor, they were gone. And they were like, well, we don't know. What are you right. talking about? Okay. You know. But then, then things got worse. Mm. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Well, the last thing that sort of concerned me was the, his left foot going purple. And then that sort of that went away. And then he got this rash right across his chest. And I sort of said, you know, is that itchy, sore, whatever? He said, no, his skin went dry and flaky um, and he still had the headaches. And I just said to him, um, I said to him, you know what? I'm taking some photos of these rashes um, because if something happens to you, someone needs to be held accountable for this because I feel like it's the, an adverse reaction to the vaccine. And he said to me, I think so too. He goes, I may as well have got bloody COVID because he said, I feel like shit. So then he deteriorated. It only took a few weeks, didn't it? Yeah, it didn't take long at all because after the rashes and the headaches, um, it was about probably nearly on the fourth week after the second AstraZeneca where we'd been at the beach and he said to me, I've got that headache back and I've got a whirring noise in my ear. And um, we sort of scrambled back to the car, and as we were driving, he just got worse and worse. And we ended up on—he ended up on pulling over and getting on the nature strip, and he was vomiting with a towel over his head. He was really light sensitive, and his head was just—he was in so much pain. Um, so I called an ambulance, and um, uh, it was just very quick, and his face started drooping down. But when I said to the the ambulance, you know, he had AstraZeneca, he's probably having a stroke. They all just looked at me and went, oh, oh, okay, quick, we better get there. But when they did the CT scan, the, the bleed on the brain was so severe. The neurologist said to me, he's had a severe trauma to his head. And I said, no, he hasn't. He hasn't hit his head. 
And he goes, no, no, this is what we see when someone's had a severe trauma to the head. And I said, he's been with me every second. He has not hit his head. Why would a, a medical practitioner not believe the wife of a patient in that circumstance? I don't know. And he, kept, and he said it a few times. I had to, I had to really be firm about it because I said he just, he has not hit his head. We spent, because we're on holidays together. I'd been with him every second. He, he hadn't been away from me. And how long after that did uh, Paul, or Rod as everyone called him, yeah. did Rod pass away? Um, I, I asked them, you know, if he could, you know, be on life support for a while to see if the, bl the, the blood would drain away because Rod was on um, anticoagulants, blood thinners. Um, and they said that if they did surgery, he would just bleed out. It would just be severe bleeding. So they said, yeah, all right. So they put him in ICU and the last CT scan they did, I think, was on the third day that he was in there. Uh, the, the bleed had gone down to his brain stem and they just said to me that um, once the brain stem's damaged, it's, um, there's just nothing they can do. Now, this is months after serious questions were being raised about AstraZeneca. In fact, it had already been banned in some European countries, yet it was still being prescribed or administered in Australia. How do you feel about that? I feel angry because I remember back then when, when he was advised by his cardiologist and his GP that he needed to have this, um, and the particular one of AstraZeneca, I remember saying, oh, well, that, that's been banned in other countries. And I knew it. I knew. And I said to him, it's been banned because it's, it's been deemed dangerous and it's actually killing people and causing blood clots. Yet he didn't listen to me. He didn't think I knew anything. And um, the cardiologist, obviously, he's the expert. So he said, you won't do too well if you get COVID, so you better have the AstraZeneca. And at first I sort of thought, oh, well, you know, if he's on anticoagulants, he won't get blood clots, but it's just not the case. It actually, actually exacerbated it even more. So Rod had a pre-existing heart condition. Yeah, yeah. And he'd done, he'd done all the rehab and everything. He was back surfing. He was back you know, climbing mountains with me. He was, he was fit as anything, he was fitter than I was. Was he reluctant to get the, uh, get the jab? Yeah, he, yes, he was. Um, he, he was, he was questioning it. And he, and even in his, his medical records, they've got documented there that he was questioning it. But when, when it came to it and the professionals, the, the GP and the cardiologist said to him, oh, you know, you won't do too well if you get COVID. And he was thinking, oh, well, you know, I had this, this heart condition, you know, oh, maybe I won't. Maybe that's some, you know, oh, it could be dangerous for me. So he listened to them. And also his work was mandating it as well. He wasn't allowed on the work site. Do you think he would have survived if he hadn't been jabbed and caught COVID? Yep. Yep, I could 100% guarantee it because after he died, he was worried about he, um, contracting COVID and me contracting COVID because I'm an asthmatic. Well, after he died, I got COVID. I was fine. I was out mowing the lawns, walking around the block. I was, I mean, I had a headache and everything, but I, I'm, I'm well, still here. Yeah. Well, most Australians have caught COVID now. We now mm. realise that it wasn't the uh, the the dire 
viral pandemic that we were led to believe it was. Your uh, party or your uh, associated with this class action lawsuit that's been filed in the federal court, what are you hoping that lawsuit will achieve? I'm hoping there's some justice. Some people, some people, and I think we know who need to be held accountable. And particularly, you know, when we know now from the TGA and the FDA and all of these people that these adverse reactions were pretty serious. And then it just, the rollout just continued and continued. And particularly AstraZeneca, when I knew full well that in other countries, they just, they stopped it dead. There's no way we're giving this to people, it's dangerous. And yet here it was like, oh, it doesn't matter. If you're over 60 or between this age and this age, you'll be safe to have it. How old was Rod? 64. You said a second ago that people need to be held accountable, but the way things are structured in Australia, the people making these decisions will never be held accountable because they have uh, immunity from um, legal action because they're representatives of the state. How do you, how do you feel about that? Uh, it actually upsets me a lot because I just don't think that, um, that you should be immune from anything. You know, you commit a crime, you do the time, and it shouldn't matter who you are. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'll just keep. I'll just keep fighting and pushing on. I promised Rod um, that if something like this happened, I would. I would. I would keep fighting until something. Something's done. Well, I can see that you have his spirit with you uh, in this fight. And good luck, Amber. Thank you so yes. much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at, at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, -E, or follow ADH on at A-D-H-T-V-A-U-S. And you can catch all the latest from ADH's rapidly expanding lineup, including Damien Curry, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, Lyle Shelton, and of course, the great Alan Jones by going to adh.tv or downloading our app or find us wherever you get your podcasts. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there is no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at seven o'clock. Good night.